Chapter 15 of The Women Who Make Our Novels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Women Who Make Our Novels by Grant Overton. Chapter 15 Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. If this chapter on Mary Wilkins Freeman, one of the best known of American writers, seems disappointingly short, the explanation is to be found in three considerations. Mrs. Freeman is primarily a short story writer and not a novelist. Her successes had been with short stories and they have been many. Both as a short story writer and as a novelist, her work is unimportant largely ephemeral and extremely overrated ephemerality in itself does not matter most things are ephemeral measured by any absolute standards books come and go opinions change as they ought to the fleeting quality of the mass of fiction is to be taken as a matter of course but when there is a persistent effort to maintain that such writing as mrs freeman's has any permanent value as a contribution to literature it is necessary to deny strongly and without qualification even at some risk of doing her really excellent work injustice the reader must not construe what we say about her work as an expression of opinion but as an assertion of fact dogma against dogma Mr. Howells and his school have so long instructed us to accept without question their estimates of her work that it becomes imperative to cut the ground from under them. They insist upon the literary value of such writing as Mrs. Freeman's. There is no such thing as literary value in writing. There are no literary values. There are only values in life. And what is Mrs. Freeman's value in life? Slight. Reminiscential pleasing, sometimes entertaining, occasionally revelatory of human nature, but never for a moment revealing anything unexpected, never anything of which we have not been perfectly aware. Her stories are cordially welcome and likable, in general, without having the slightest relation to the business of living. We read them and sustain a faint consciousness that once in some place among a few people they may have had some bearing on life. We read them and observe that in the main they are told skillfully. We are very glad to have them, and that is all. The third reason for the brevity with which we deal with her is purely historical. If this book were being written in 1898 instead of 1918, she would occupy and rightly a considerable space in it but as recently as nineteen fourteen a book of her stories was put out with a short story the copycat occupying first place in it and giving its title to the book the story deals with a little girl amelia who was forever imitating another little girl lily amelia was plain and lily was pretty amelia being very young and very tired went to sleep she did not know that that night was to mark a sharp turn in her whole life. Thereafter, she went to school, dressed like the best, and her mother petted her as nobody had ever known her mother could pet. It was not so very long afterward that Amelia, out of her own improvement in appearance, developed a little stamp of individuality. One day, 
Lily wore a white frock with blue ribbons, and Amelia wore one with coral pink. It was a particularly day in school. There was company, and tea was served. I told you I was going to wear blue ribbons. Lily whispered to Amelia. Amelia smiled lovingly back at her. Yes, I know, but I thought I would wear pink. This is in the year of our Lord, 1914. This in the year when blood began to flow as it has never flowed before, when free peoples everywhere awoke to the presence of black evil on earth, when big, generous America, with all her faults, was not exactly likely to be thrilled or touched or enlightened by the recital of how a plain little girl finally got up enough gumption to wear pink ribbons instead of blue. And yet, we suppose that people set such store by literary values thought this is a delightful little story, so true a picture of children, and wasn't that a charming conceit of sleeping in each other's beds? But it is wretched stuff, really. At the end, Mrs. Freeman simply tells you that after that night, Amelia's mother whole nature changed, and the uninterestingly imitative little girl developed a little stamp of individuality, and will you please swallow all this quickly on Mrs. Freeman's mere say-so, because she's tired of writing, and thing is already the right magazine length anyway. Bah! Mary E. Wilkins Freeman is extremely modest person. She is of New England stock in both lines. Her ancestors were Puritan colonists. She was born in Randolph, Massachusetts in 1862, and received her education there and at Mount Holyoke Seminary. Ten years of her life were spent in Brattleboro, Vermont, but after the death of her parents, she returned to Randolph where she made her home until her marriage on New Year's Day, 1902, to Dr. Charles M. Freeman of Metuchen, New Jersey. Since then, Mrs. Freeman has lived in Metuchen. Exactly when the intention to write first came to her, Mrs. Freeman does not remember. She always felt that she must work at something, but did not know what it was to be. Though she was fond of painting and sculpture, her chief interest as a girl was reading. Socially, her tastes were exceedingly catholic, and she was on the best of terms with all her neighbors, many of whom she found herself studying as characteristic New England types, thus unconsciously preparing herself for the moment when she was to become a writer. She likes people who drop their G's and use the double negative, as well as people who don't. Success as a writer came to her instantly. She suffered none of the rebuffs and delays and discouragement usual to the young author. Her earliest work was done for children and took the form of short stories and poems in juvenile magazines. Her first grown-up story was The Old Lovers, sent to Harper's Bazaar. Miss Mary L. Booth, then editor of that periodical, upon receiving this contribution written in a crap and unformed handwriting, evidently that of a child, determined upon a hasty reading, but was so struck in the opening paragraphs with the humor and the pathos of the story that she promptly sent Mrs. Freeman a check. In the same mail with the bizarre acceptance came a notification that her story, The Shadow Family, had captured the prize in a competition conducted by the Boston Sunday Budget. Both the checks seemed very large to the new writer. My delight and astonishment knew no bounds. Mrs. Freeman is a rather small woman. 
singularly unaffected, cordial, frank. A friend once described her thus, a little frail-looking creature with a splendid quantity of pale brown hair and a dark blue eyes with a direct look and a clear, frank expression, eyes that readily grow bright with fun. Mrs. Freeman had plenty of humor, is quiet and whimsical, is fond of country ways, but confesses to fear of cows, caterpillars, and all creeping things. Her popularity has been sufficient to bring about a translation of a number of her books into various European languages. Books by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman The Debtor The Fair Lavinia A Humble Romance 1887 A New England Nun 1891 Young Lucretia 1892 Jane Field 1892 Giles Corey 1893 Pembroke 1894 Madelon 1896 Jerome a poor man 1897 Silence 1898 Evelina's Garden 1899 the love of parson lord 1900s the hearts of highway 1900s the portion of labor 1901 under studies 1901 six trees 1903 the wind in the rose bush 1903 the givers 1904 doc gordon 1906 by the light of the soul 1907 shoulders of atlas 1908 the winning lady 1909 the green door 1910 the butterfly house 1912 yates pride 1912 the copycat and other stories 1914 the james sons people of our neighborhood published by harper and brothers new york but the Butterfly House is published by Dodd, Mead, and Company, New York. End of chapter 15